listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of Grace Life Church in Middleburg, Florida. You can find more information about our church at thegracelifechurch.org and be sure to subscribe to our podcast for weekly biblical content. Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody have a good week? Man, bad weeks around here, huh? Or not great? Not good? Okay, well, maybe that's why our sermon today is needed today. Um, before we get to Matthew chapter 6, um, you'll see in the, your chairs, I know most of you filled this out last week, but this is the well, our, kind of our check-in card for the next couple months where we're setting aside time where the pastor elders of the church are going to meet with just our members and attenders just to do a check-in so you can see that question on there, or finding your place to serve. So if you didn't fill it out last week, we'd love for you to fill it out today in the next couple days, and over this week, sometime this week and next week, we'll start contacting you that filled out the card last week and get you guys plugged into your proper place. So if once you fill that out, you can drop it back to Tim at our connections table. A new addition to our the way we play things out here at Grace Life is just, hey, Tim's going to kind of answer all the questions, um, which is great for Tim, you know, he's going to ask him any question, right? And see if he has an answer for it. Um, don't do that. <laughs> Put him on the spot there. But I'm thankful that he's stepping into that role to help uh, place you guys in the different roles in our church and uh, for us to continue to grow and, and serve one another. Matthew chapter 6. One of my favorite things to do is read a good book. Anybody like to read? Like, you, you love reading. It's not, not just like, reading Facebook, okay? I'm like a, a book. Let me clarify. All right, let's see the hands. Who likes to read a book? All right, I, lo- I love a good book. So a couple years ago, about uh, six years ago, I was challenged to pick up a hobby. And I, my answer has been like, well, Braves baseball has always been my hobby. But there are like four months throughout the year where there's no Braves baseball, so I didn't have a hobby, I guess, during those four months. So I started reading more intentionally, not just books about church or Christian life or the ones I had been doing, but I just started reading fiction books and biographies and broadening my reading. And I love reading. So the first year I followed a list that helped me kind of like, I don't know what book to read next. And it would just say, hey, pick this book. And I'm like, okay, I'll read a, a, a bestseller from 2023 or whatever it was. Well, over the last couple of years, I've been really nerding out on my book reading where I want to know every little detail about this new hobby I have. So I have created a spreadsheet. I, I know, you know, this is serious. Where I, I keep track of the books I read, the authors, how many pages were in the book, which month I read this book. So I want to know, like, is January a, like a low book reading? It kind of maybe helps me see which months are busier for me throughout the year, which is February for some reason. I don't know. This is how you, know, you learn things. You keep track of stuff. So I, I kept track of, like, did I read this from the public library, pri- private library, my library? Was it, did I listen to the book? Because that counts too, okay? Did I read it on a paperback or Kindle? I'm keeping track of all this. Now, my favorite thing to do is about the first week of January, I'll look at the past year's list. And I get into the stats. And, like, how many fiction books did I read? How many books from the library did I read? I just want to know. How many average pages per book did I read? And... I just enjoy this. But I go through the list, and I try to remember 
what the book was about. And there's usually like 20 books a year where I'm like, I couldn't tell you what this book was about. Anybody else struggle with this? You're like, I think I've read this book. I'll get a book from the library, and I'm like, I think I've read this book. I just finished a book that I'm pretty sure I've read before, but I could not tell you anything about it. The whole book, I'm telling Julie, I think I've read this book before, but I don't remember. What I don't remember, on top of that, is learning how to read. Does anybody remember learning how to read? It kind of feels like we've just been doing it our whole lives. Like, at some point, I just began reading. Someone took the time and taught me, and now watching my kids learn to read and teaching them and, and helping them develop this, one day they're going to be like, we just love reading, but I don't remember learning to read. It's very similar to our prayer life. That so often we, we either don't pray, like we don't, have a, we don't read. We know we should read, but we know we should pray, but we don't pray. And some of us have just developed a, a love for prayer that we don't even remember. We're just saying, man, I don't remember when I first loved and started learning to pray. Or maybe there's seasons where you're praying, and then there's seasons where you're not praying. And you're like, man, what happened in the month of February where I wasn't spending so much time in prayer? Or maybe we look at our prayer life and we just say, I prayed yesterday. I can remember where I was. I can't remember that prayer. Anybody been there? Have you ever prayed a prayer and finished the prayer and wondering if you said anything wrong because you can't remember what you prayed about? Like, we've, we've been there. It's this quote that I think kind of helps us understand this. Is, is there anything more essential to the Christian life and yet more discouraging in the Christian's life than prayer? Like, I need to pray. But then I'm like, why don't I pray? Does anybody else feel like this at times? Here, here's what I want us to just know. Right at the beginning of this several weeks look at the Lord's Prayer. Is that Jesus patiently teaches us to enjoy prayer. He wants us to enjoy prayer. Prayer is neither optional, nor is it an obligation. It is a gracious gift that our Father in Heaven has given to us so we can enjoy sweet communion with Him. And if we're honest for a moment, we could probably all say, I, I need to spend more time in prayer. I need to spend more time talking to our Father in Heaven. Here is my hopes as your pastor. As, we, as I've been just diving into the Lord's Prayer this past week, last two weeks, and I've been thinking about this, just how, how I can encourage you and how we can encourage one another to deepen our love for prayer. And I could get up here and say, you need to pray more. Well, duh, right? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. But I don't want to beat you over the head and just say, how dare you not pray? In fact, I, I keep saying, I don't, I don't even know if I want you to pray more. Let me explain that. You're like... We'll bleep that out of the live stream, okay? I want you to enjoy prayer. And there is a difference there. Prayer can become so monotonous, routine, that it doesn't even do anything for us. That we just, this is what we do because I have to do it. I mean, giving can become like that. Scripture reading can become like that. I want you to enjoy prayer. 
Because I know that when you enjoy prayer the way Jesus has laid it out for us, then you will enjoy God. And when you learn and grow in enjoyment of God, guess what happens? We pray more. Because we long to spend time with our Father in heaven. I don't want to guilt you into praying more. I'm praying the Lord stirs within our heart a deep, a deep love to spend time with our Father in heaven. And this is essentially what Jesus is laying out for us in the Lord's Prayer. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend time praying together as a church family. There's going to be encouragement throughout the week to spend time in prayer, but not as some religious obligation, but about of enjoyment to spend time with the Father, our Creator, the one who loves us and sent his son for us. So let's read Matthew 6. We'll begin in verse 5. I'm going to read the whole Lord's Prayer this morning, okay? In fact, that's going to surprise um, everybody on the TV screen because I didn't tell them to put the whole Lord's Prayer in there. So we're going to read Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And we're really only going to focus on verses 5 through 8 this morning. But I want to read the whole Lord's Prayer together. Then we'll respond to the reading of God's Word and we'll pray together. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Father, open our eyes to behold the wonderful truths from your word. Help us to explore these truths with a joyful heart. To live them out with all of our hearts. Embrace them with all our power. To integrate them into our lives. Help us, Lord, to see the sweet joy of communion that we can have with you. In your name we pray. Amen. It's been since November since we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's recap it. Some of you, this is the first sermon of the Sermon on the Mount you've heard. The Sermon on the Mount is the first of five sermons that Jesus preaches in the book of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So we're kind of right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, we see that Jesus' ministry of repentance has now gathered a crowd. And as he sees this crowd gather, he, gathering, he places himself on the side of a mountain, and he sits down. This is significant because Jesus sitting down 
is showing that he has authority. This is the custom of the day. When you sit, the teacher sat down because they have authority. So he sits down and the text tells us that Jesus is specifically speaking to his disciples, even though there's a crowd around them listening in. And then we see Pharisees also included in this, uh, this gathering, but he's specifically teaching to the, Pharise- uh, to the disciples. This is for his followers. He wants them to know how they are to live for his glory. When we get to chapter 6, Jesus begins a, a, a three-part focus on Jewish spiritual disciplines. We see it in verses 1 through 4, where Jesus talks about almsgiving, giving to the poor. Now he talks about prayer. And then after this section on prayer, Jesus talks about fasting. These three spiritual disciplines were very important in the life of the Jewish, Jewish person. So Jesus is not saying, hey, what you did, get rid of it. What Jesus is doing when he talks about almsgiving and prayer and fasting is he's going to the heart of the matter. He is showing you should do these things, but it's not about what you do. It's about the heart and from which it comes from. So Jesus is helping his followers. He's helping us see that, yes, when you give, do it from a generous heart. When you pray, do it from a heart that desires to be seen by God. When you fast, do it for this reason, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks. And here in this section on the Lord's Prayer, what's become known as the Lord's Prayer, this is a passage of Scripture that has impacted Jesus' followers since he spoke them to his disciples. In fact, there's a lot of people that can quote the Lord's Prayer, and they have no relationship with God. We hear it in just, you'll see it in a card from Hallmark, you'll see it on TV, you'll, you'll see people just quoting the Lord's Prayer because it, it might be the only prayer they know. But Jesus isn't calling us to recite this prayer. He's calling us to have a deep relationship with our Father in heaven. One author said, The Lord's Prayer is the most important teaching ever about talking to God. And there's so much, so much incredible, incredible truths when it comes to Christians and prayer that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. The fact that prayer is even possible is incredible. And Jesus gives this model prayer for one purpose. He wants to teach us to pray. The Lord's Prayer is recorded two times in the New Testament, here in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke 11. In Luke 11, it's not in a sermon, but it's in a different context. Jesus has gone off to pray. He's praying. And I can't even imagine what it must have been like to hear Jesus praying to his Father in heaven. It must have been so incredible that the disciples see this and they instantly say, Jesus, can can you teach us how to pray like that? Can Can you show us how we are to pray? And then Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. It's a little different variation, but it's very similar. They wanted to know how to pray. And here's what the disciples understood, I think, in that moment, that we need to understand now, that prayer is essential in the life of the Christ follower. Essential. It is not an optional thing to do. 
nor is it an obligation. But it is essential in the life of the Christ follower. Do you remember when you were a kid and you would get into the pool? Like, pool season's coming. It's close, right? Until tonight when it's really cold again, then we'll remind, remember it's a couple months away. But you get into the pool and a little kid will hold on to the side. And they'll see how long they can hold their breath underwater. Anybody ever try to do this as a kid? All right, anybody try to do this as an adult? And you're like, man, I can only hold my breath for 10 seconds, right? Now, what happens when you hold your breath for a long time? What begins to happen? You get a little woozy. Think your body's like, this is not how we are supposed to live. You need air. Things, alarms start going off. Because oxygen is essential to us. We need to breathe. If we do not have oxygen, we will die. That's how God created it. This is how we are to see prayer. If I do not pray, I will die. Martin Luther says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. How can we claim to be Christians and have a relationship with God when we never talk to Him? We know from a human standpoint, if I never talk to Julie, what type of relationship would that be? If I never talk to my kids? This is what I want us to grasp is that prayer is essential for us. How can we live our lives if we, as Christ followers, if we're never spending time talking with Him? You might say, well, Pastor Matt, I thought you said you weren't going to guilt us into this. I'm not trying to. That is the Holy Spirit doing that work, okay? I want us to see the urgency of prayer. The urgency to need to be in a place where we're communing with God. Jesus, three times in this passage, I hope you picked it up, when you pray. Circle it those three times in this, these couple of verses. When you pray. When you pray. When you pray. Jesus does not say, hey, if you pray. He is assuming his followers are praying. When you pray. And he's speaking to regular fishermen, regular people. He is not talking to super Christians. He is not saying, hey, when you pray, not you, you're not super Christian enough. Prayer is not just for pastors or spiritually high people. It's for every follower of Jesus. Prayer is for you. You who are just trying to go about the week, trying to figure out life with your kids and work and everything pulling you in so many directions, Jesus has given you prayer. You don't have to come to me to pray. You can go right to the Lord where you are and he hears your prayer. Prayer is for every follower of Jesus. Failure to pray is therefore not only a sign of anemic spiritual life, it is disobedience to Christ in Scripture. It is unthinkable that a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ would not pray. That when you pray is, I think, just an interesting phrase by Jesus. Because Jesus is, in these words, assuming that his followers are praying. They've been commanded, so he's assuming. He doesn't say, hey, you need to pray. It's when you pray. Now, he doesn't, in this context, 
say, hey, you should be praying, and then just let us go. Like, good luck with that. He gives instructions on, on how we are to pray. Now, Colton has a responsibility to our house. He is to take out the trash. That is his responsibility. He does a great job at it. He's been doing it consistently for a while now, all right? When he first started taking out the trash, when the trash bag was almost as big as he was, okay, I, told, I would tell him, hey, your new responsibility is you need to take out the trash. But I didn't just like, I've given you the command, now you do it. But what did I have to tell him? Like, hey, you need to, you need to push all the trash in, okay? You need to tie it up. You need to take it out of the can. You need to take it outside to that can out there. You need to put it in that can, close the lid, because the raccoons will get in there. Even if you close the lid, it doesn't matter. They'll find a way, right? You need, this is how you do it. This is the process. This is what it look, looks like. So now, when I say, hey, when you take out the trash, Colton already knows all of this as well. But it, it requires training, and Jesus is training his disciples. When you pray, you've been, you've been given this command. I'm assuming you're doing it. So when you pray, it should look like this. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say in either cases of the Lord's Prayer, hey, you better pray at this time every day. You better pray after this. But when you pray, because the life of the Christ follower, as we'll see throughout this study, and, and Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, is a life of prayer. Like we breathe oxygen. Every, we don't even think about oxygen, right? Until we don't have it. It's how we are to see prayer. I'm constantly talking to the Lord. It's not some extravagant, extravagant 30-minute prayer that we'll see. It's just daily enjoyment with the Lord. And because it's clear throughout Scripture that God longs to hear His children speak to Him. Longs for it. Jesus' approach to prayer is to encourage us on how to the, approach our time with the Father. By giving us two, hey, don't do this, and one, this is how you should do it. So we're going to look at the first, what you should not do. First, we see Jesus is saying a genuine heart of prayer is being more concerned with God hearing us than being seen by others. Matthew 6, 5, it says, and when you pray, not if, okay, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That, that there is a purpose. The whole purpose of their prayer is to be seen by others. And what does Jesus call these people? Man, that's kind of mean, Jesus, right? You can't call someone a hypocrite. Well, Jesus can because he sees the heart. He sees that their heart is not concerned about what God is saying or what God is seeing. Their heart is only about being seen from others. A hypocrite is someone who says one thing in front of others but then does something different in private. The hypocrite is more concerned about what others think of them than what God thinks of them. They're more concerned about what others see instead of being concerned about what God sees. Their heart is filled with pride. They chase after being in the spotlight. This is the warning that Jesus gives these hypocrites in Matthew 6, verse 1. He says, 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus begins chapter 6, this focus on almsgiving and prayer and fasting, by warning his disciples, this is not about what other people see in you. This is about your heart with the Father. And three times he refers to hypocrites. Because so often it's so easy to look a certain way, to impress everybody, when deep down inside our heart is rotten to the core. And Jesus says, this is a hypocrite. The hypocrite wants to be seen. The hypocrite wants the spotlight. The hypocrite wants everybody to hear their prayers. But a genuine heart of prayer is being more concerned with God hearing us than being seen by others. Jesus gives a great example in Luke chapter 18. There's a story. It's a parable. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In this parable, in this story, you have a religious person who is saying, look how awesome I am. I'm not like that person. Praise the Lord. Look how great I am. I give twice a week. I have perfect attendance at church. Celebrate me. At least I'm not like that guy. And the tax collector is over here. You think of the contrast here in this day and age. Pharisees are religious people who have power that were looked up to at times. The tax collector, they took money. That's just an evil person. But the tax collector is over here pleading with the Lord, feeling the weight of his sin, can't even look into heaven and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God is more He's wanting his followers to be more like this man who doesn't care if others see him. He only wants to be heard by God rather than the one that looks like he got it all together. It's a warning for us that God sees us and that is far more important than if others see us. And Jesus says, hey, the Pharisees, the people that, that want the attention, that want the spotlight, they have the reward. And here's the reward. People look at them. And they walk away and say, man, they got to see greatness today. But here's the thing. They wake up the next morning and guess what they need? They have to get it again. Because it wasn't an eternal reward. It was a moment of being acknowledged as something great. And then they realize, I need that again. The reward is like a gold-painted trophy 
that a kid receives and thinks it's actually real gold. They say, look at this. I've got my reward, and it's plastic. It's not lasting. So what is Jesus looking for in prayer? A genuine heart of prayer is knowing we need to seek an intimate and intentional time to be alone with God. Jesus says in verse 5, hey, it's not about being seen by others. It's about being seen by the Father. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. For the second time, Jesus says, when you pray. This time it's, hey, this is what it should look like. When you pray. The heart of the follower of Jesus is, is much different than the heart of the hypocrite. The heart of the hypocrite looks at self. The heart of the Christ follower should look to Christ. The Jesus follower longs to be seen and heard by God alone. They do not care what other think, others think of their prayer. Here's the intimate nature we see in this one verse. There's a longing for the disciple, the follower of Jesus, to say, I need to be with God. I need this. I need to be with God. And then a, it just needs to be me and God. I don't really care if anybody else is around. It's just me and God. I love how Jesus shows us with a, just an easy example of how intimate and intentional our Christian prayer life should be like by giving us the illustration of going into your closet. Now, the closets that they had back in Jesus' day were not like our closets today. I mean, most of us can walk into our closet. They did not have that luxury back then. This was a very, very tiny space. And I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, read your Bible in your closet, all right? Read your, you need to pray in your closet. Because some people don't have a closet, okay? But I think he's helping us see what this time of prayer should look like. So back in the Jewish day, they would have this space. It could be a closet. It could be just a like a, a cubby of sorts. And it's usually where they kept their most valuable treasures, safely hidden from everywhere else. In those closets, if they were big enough, there's usually only room for one person and no other people. Because that is valuable space if you could fit two people in there. It's one person and one person alone. So Jesus is saying, hey, go into your closet at home. Get in. There's no room for anybody else. And shut the door. It's finding a place where it's just you and God and nothing else. And the treasure of where we keep our valuables, Jesus is saying, this is a place for us to see and value, value prayer. Find a place, just you and God, shut the door and pray. There's three Three phrases that I think help us see the intimate and intentional life of prayer that we can have. And it's not overly complicated. Your life looks different than mine. I have a routine. It's being intentional in it. We can either be lazy in it or we could be intentional. And finding and working to spend time with our Father in heaven. Jesus says, go and find a place to pray. Find a place where it's just you and God. This could be literally your closet. 
Maybe you've got a closet where you can shut the door, put a chair in there, and it's you and God. Maybe it's your back patio. There's no one else there. It's just me and God. Maybe it's in your car. If you're alone in your car, you need to turn that radio off, spend time praying with the Lord. Maybe it's in the shower. Maybe it's mowing the grass. Maybe it's when you wash the dishes. It's finding that time. It's just me and God praying. There's no one else here with me. Now, I know that that is a lot more difficult to do at times. Maybe that intentionality means I need to wake up a little earlier so I can have my time alone with God before the kids wake up, which I know they somehow know when you wake up. It doesn't matter what time, right? But maybe it's even telling them, hey, I'm going to go spend just a few moments alone with God, just me and God and pray. And then Jesus says, hey, go in there, go in your closet, and then what do you do once you're in the closet? Shut the door, all right? That means that is a way of saying, I'm keeping everything out. I'm going to eliminate the distractions here. I don't think it's a good idea to be praying while you're scrolling through social media or watching a movie. Or if you're distracted with work, oh, man, I forgot to pray. Let me pray real quick while I'm typing out this email. That's not intentional, nor is it intimate. Because we know, guys especially, if our wives are talking to us and we're talking to them and we're on our phones, do they think that they have our undivided attention? No. And it's in reverse too. Our kids will call us out like, hey, can you look at me for a second while I talk to you? Right? Because we want undivided attention. This is what Jesus is saying. Close the door. Give your full attention to God alone. And then pray to your Father. doesn't matter how long or what time of day or how many times or how you should feel. You don't walk away saying, man, that prayer didn't do anything. Sometimes there's casual conversations that we just casually have with one another that are good and intimate and intentional. Jesus doesn't say you better be kneeling, your hands better be folded, and your eyes better be closed, right? Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say lay down. He just says go into your closet, shut the door, and pray. I don't think God is in heaven saying, I cannot believe he's praying with his eyes open right now. How dare him? No, he's enjoying our communion that we have with him. So pray to your Father. Pray. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll see what that prayer should look like. But it's as simple as this. Find a place, eliminate the distractions, and pray. And pray. One Irish author who wrote an incredible Bible plan, he said, what a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. I'm telling you, that has been a convicting quote for me this week. One of the Puritans, as a pastor, would say, I have so much to do on my plate today that I first must spend four hours in prayer this morning. And I just think how often we are so distracted by everything else in this world and good things. Yes, go to work. Yes, spend time with your kids, parent, do your chores, do everything you need to do. But don't let those things take you away from an intentional time with the Lord. Carve out that time. You know your schedule. You know your calendar. You're going to know. Lunchtime is my time. Lunchtime is my time today. 
If I don't do it today, the rest of the day is a little it. I don't know when I'm going to fit it in. I want me and time, alone with God time. Psalm 27, 8 says, You have said, seek my face. God is saying to his people. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Seek the face of God with a genuine heart. And what is our reward for praying from a genuine heart? Well, it's not temporary. Your Father in heaven will reward you, meaning there are eternal rewards. Certainly, there's a lot of rewards that we can get into when it comes to the reward of praying and spending time with the Father. Let's just skim the surface of a few of them. Romans eight fifteen through 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Prayer, one of the wonderful blessings of prayer, reminds us that we are children of God. That we have a Father, a specific word there that we'll look at next week, who longs to hear from his children. When we pray, we have a Father who loves us and cares for us. And I think every day we need that reminder, don't we? What about Numbers 6, 24 through 26? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. There are times when I pray, when I don't, I'm asking for, Lord, help me, give me wisdom in this area, and I don't have the answer, but what I do have is peace, knowing all of my life is in God's hands. Prayer is a reminder that God brings peace. What about 1 Peter 5, 7? And I know this is several of us in here. Casting all your anxieties on Him. Because God cares for you. God cares for you. And in this time of prayer, Lord, I'm anxious about this. I'm anxious about my finances. I'm anxious about my marriage, about work. I've got this thing going on. I'm anxious. And prayer is a reminder that God cares for you. He cares for you. So what then are we to pray? Jesus actually is not too concerned about the words, which is interesting. As much as he is about our heart. He reiterated this throughout his entire ministry. Even Matthew 15 tells us that what defiles a person isn't what they do, it's what comes from the heart. So Jesus is not so much concerned about the words we say, because sometimes we don't even have the words to say, but the Holy Spirit knows the words. That's Romans 8. Jesus is concerned about our heart. A genuine heart of prayer is more concerned with the God we pray to than the words we say. The Pharisees likely said all the right words in public. Then we're introduced to another group, the Gentiles. These are people that did not worship the one true God. They were likely worshipers of other little g-gods. And they would recite and, and, and state mystical prayers in hopes 
that it was good enough for God. They would utter empty words. The, the word there, they, were, they, were, they would heap, let me read it in, in um, Matthew 5, the phrase. Do not be like them. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. The word empty phrases is literally a word that sounds like the sound it makes, like quack. All right? Like you hear a duck, it's, it's quack. It's, it's just as a noise. It has no depth to it. It's just noisy. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus is saying our words should not be like this. They should not be empty. We should just not be reciting prayers just to say them. We shouldn't have a casual posture of prayer. Our words match our heart. One author said, this kind of prayer is all lips, no mind, and no heart. And while we don't get into reciting prayers often, I mean, some people will recite the Lord's Prayer. We don't have a prayer like, oh man, I'm scared. I'm anxious, let me recite this prayer 12 times and then it'll be good. We don't believe that is how Jesus modeled prayer. But how many times do we pray right before we eat just so we don't get heartburn? Or just like, this is what you're supposed to do. Maybe it's a good luck type of thing. Or we pray before bed just because I, I did my prayer today. It has no weight to it. It's empty. Jesus longs for our heart to enjoy prayer. But more importantly, to enjoy the God we pray to. The Gentiles had a terrible view of God. And at times we do too when it comes to prayer. God is not a magic genie. God, give me this. Some of us have been praying for a million dollars for 20 years now, right? God is not a magic genie. God is not some crazy dictator. God, don't kill me for messing up. God, don't do this. He's not a maestro. Why pray when God's got everything in his hands? What's the purpose? I don't need to. God's got it figured out. It's a poor view of God and prayer. God cannot be manipulated. I'm going to pray so hard, I'm going to change God's mind. Our prayer life is often an indictment of how we view God. And our lack of a prayer life is the same. If we truly saw how awesome and wonderful God is, would it not bring us to our knees to say, God, I need you, Father in heaven, on the best days of my life, and the worst days. Words don't matter if your heart is not longing to be with the Father and to see Him for who He is. At times we think our words need to impress God. I don't think God cares about our extravagant words as much as He cares about just being with us. Here's how I know this. When I go away for a trip, Merritt will get Julie's phone, and she will text me just all sorts of things because she, she misses me and wants to be with me. She'll send me crazy pictures of herself. I'm not, sometimes I'm not sure what the picture is with drawings. 
Sometimes the words she says don't make sense. But I love that she texts me. Because I'm her dad. And I know from just those crazy little emojis or little pictures, I know that she loves me. And some of those pictures I can't remember. Some of those words I can't remember. But I mean, I love, like, I look in a weird way when I go on a trip to see what Merritt's going to tell me that day, that week. Because I know she loves me. And I, in a sense, I believe this is God just saying, I just want to be with you. Now, as we'll see over the next couple weeks, our words should line up with his words. They must line up with words. God is actually the one that initiated the conversation of prayer in the first place. That our words line up with his. But ultimately, God the Father is the sovereign creator of the universe who welcomes us into his presence through his son, Jesus. The fact that God the Father hears our prayers is a miracle in and of itself. You do not have to come to me for your prayers to go to God. Man, that does not make sense to me. That God said, sorry, your prayer has to go through another channel to get to me. Throughout Scripture, we see when you pray, you go to the Father in heaven, and that is only possible because Jesus has given us access to the Father. That through his death and resurrection, we don't have to go into the presence of the Father afraid because of who we are. But we walk into the presence of the Father with joy, knowing that we belong to him as his children. Hebrews 4.14 says we approach the throne room of grace with confidence because of Jesus. So when we pray to the Father, we know it's only possible because of Jesus. And I think about what, what would it be like if God didn't hear our prayers? What would it be like if we had no access to the Father? Man, it, for some of us, that's how we're living our prayer life now, as if we can't go to Him. For others, it would be detrimental. God has graciously given us access to himself. And here's what's really remarkable about prayer. The part that kind of blows my mind a little bit. It's found in verse 8. Do not be like them, the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. When you sit down, lay down, kneel down to pray, God already knows that prayer. Which is pretty remarkable to me. That God knows the weights of my heart, the worries in my head, the words of my mouth. Because He loves me and He cares for me. He's not surprised when we pray to Him. Like, ooh, didn't expect that to be on the to-do list today. No, he knows. He knows, which reminds me what many people, this is not original with me, that prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. Prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. It gives us a deeper joy for God. 
a deeper love for God, a deeper desire for God. That the more we pray, the realize God is sovereign, the sovereign creator over all things. All of this world is in his hands. And as I pray, he's changing me to depend more on him and less on me. That he's not impressed by my words. He wants us to be impressed by him and to see him for how awesome and wonderful he is. And to know that the only way that I can pray to him is because he sent his son Jesus for me. Going back to the illustration of going on a trip, We've, you see this on, a, on a, a viral video of someone coming out of the airport gates and their family is there waiting for them. What does those, those little kids do? They run to the parents or the grandparents, overjoyed to be in their presence. This is the heart that we should have as followers of Jesus, to run to the face of God, to be in his presence, just us and him, to enjoy him and to talk to him and to tell him, Father, this is what's on my heart. But more importantly, I'm glad just to be in your presence today. I want to put Psalm, the, the verse we read from Psalm 27 up on the screen. And for just a brief moment, I want us to pray that last line. When God says, seek my face, I want us to pray for just a moment. Father, your face I want to seek. This is my prayer for you, that you will seek the face of the Father every day to know him for who he is, that he loves you and cares for you and longs to hear your prayers, even if they're muddied and muddled and, and all over the place. And sometimes we don't even know what to pray, but God knows our prayers. He longs for us to seek his face. So where you are, for just a moment, let's pray. Lord, help me to seek your face.